Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. All right, if you could stand and we will read the, um, the passage for this week, the couple of verses we're going through this week. This is the very beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, when I was um, working through um, First Peter and preaching First Peter a couple months ago and just reading through it and reading through it, this passage stuck out to me um, maybe as much as any other passage. And just these few verses, and I thought, oh, that's going to get preached. And, um, and you know what one verse in this passage, can you put that back up there, what one verse stuck out to me more than any other word? No, do we have that? Do we have it? We don't have it. Um, the word that bothered me more than any other word was all. It wasn't malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander or longing for the pure spiritual milk. Uh, it was all. So uh, this, I think, he says get, get rid of all of these things. And I think whether you're following Jesus, not following Jesus, you can agree malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander aren't really not great things for us individually or collectively, and we'd be better off um, without it. But but all of those things seems like um, a lot. Like I thought, I'll, you know, I'll give up some. I think I have given up some of those things, maybe a lot of those things. I, I might think even most of those things. I don't think that after studying it to preach it, um, but all just seemed exhausting to me. Does it seem exhausting to anybody else? Uh, when, I was in, when I was in high school, um, school came fairly school comes pretty easy for some people and it doesn't come easy for others it is not fair it's just what it is and it came pretty easy for me so when I was in high school I got like three B's in all of high school and then the rest were A's I got to college and I realized the B's were not hard for me but A's were hard and the amount of work that was required to get from a B to an A was a lot of work and I found myself doing like a cost-benefit analysis in my mind of if it was worth it to do the work to get the A or just settle for the B. And, uh, and the A lost that because there was a lot of other fun stuff to do in college with the time. Um, what? We'll have that in a different sermon or maybe a little bit later in this sermon. Uh, the time, you know could be spent doing uh, funner stuff than that. I was early in college, I heard a ministry leader give a talk about how um, your college is not just about your GPA, that your character is more important than your grade point average. And I was like, amen, yes, Roger. I didn't end up caring much about either one of them uh, when I was in college. You know, I don't think I did great. I did great at other things, but it wasn't my GPA or my character necessarily. And so I found myself looking at this thing and thinking, oh, man, Peter, do you know what it would take to get rid of all of that stuff? How about, can we do most? Like, is that okay? And Peter kept saying, all. Uh, the passage is about, you know, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it may, you may grow up into your salvation. 
And growing up into your salvation, as uh, Paul at one point says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so it's not like, it's about sanctification. It's about, and that's a church word that means becoming more like Jesus. So sanctus is Latin for holy, and so sanctification is becoming holy, or sanctuary is a holy place. And so it's about becoming more like um, becoming more like Jesus. And so our understanding, if you're new to all this stuff, the, the gospel is that we've been saved um, by the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus from the penalty of our sin, because those sins and other sins have consequences, and we can't put the genie back in the bottle, and so we needed Jesus to do something we couldn't do for ourselves. We've been saved from the penalty. We're, we're being saved from the power of sin in our lives, and that is that process of sanctification and um, and he is, he is having more influence in sin less, so we're becoming more like Christ. And we will eventually be saved from the presence of sin itself. And so all those things will be gone, you know? And so that's what the passage is about. But I realized that as I read the passage, like, I'm kind of good with enough when it comes to sanctification. Like, enough sanctification, I think, has happened that I can get by, and I'm okay with that. Which is, then I thought about enough. And whenever I preach about stuff and possessions, enough is that word that is so hard, right? Like, it's never, you never have enough stuff. Um, my my in-law's neighbor has a, a Corvette in his garage, and every time we go up there, I see it, and his license plate is N-E-V-R-E-N-U-F, never enough, and I love it, because I think it's totally honest, you know, and like we all, if we're honest, like think that it's never enough, and, and I think about his Corvette, and it's like 25 years old, and it's not a nice enough Corvette for me, like if I had a Corvette, I'd want a nicer Corvette than my in-law's neighbor's Corvette, but that's just the thing, like the house is never quite nice enough, the yard is never big enough, the bank account never has enough in it, you never have enough of the admiration of the people around you, you never have enough control at work or in your family or whatever it might be, like enough is hard in a lot of things, but when it comes to sanctification, nah, not good enough. <laughs> like I think we can settle down into enough and I am more like Jesus, I believe, than I was when I started following Jesus. Uh, at that point, I don't think I had tasted and seeing that the Lord is good, uh, the hole that I was trying to fill in my life was ginormous compared to what it, I think it's still there, and that's part of sanctification. My ego was, uh, is not as wrapped up in my performance as it was then, although it still kind of is. Lust just doesn't dominate me the way that it did then, although it's still an issue. I'm not seeking my identity as much in the people around me and the stuff that we do the way that I was then, but there's still problems. But I think, but it's better and so I read the passage over and over, and I think, hey, Peter, what's a little malice between friends? I mean, come on. Aren't we good? And Peter keeps saying, enough is not enough. Enough is not enough. Uh, Jesus is committed to all, to all. And so that's how I'm going to talk through the passage, because um, that tension has been working on me for a while, and I don't want to be alone in it. So this is, and I don't, I, I, there's got to be a better way to frame this, but, I, but this is the best I could do. I enjoy Jesus. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I love Jesus. I, am, I take pleasure in Jesus, and I enjoy Jesus. Uh, I also have tasted and seen that a little malice and envy and deceit and slander and hypocrisy, those things kind of taste good sometimes too. They aren't good, but they taste good, and so I enjoy sinning. And I think he's getting at which are we choosing to enjoy more. So, let me start through this a little bit. Um, another way to translate the beginning of this passage is this. Therefore, 
laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And so the one I read was put away. Um, and laying aside is a little bit different in the way that it's um, stated in, in the term lay aside versus put away. Uh, put away seems kind of harsh, like put it away. It seems like an imperative, but the way that this um, is written, and I don't remember my Greek very much, but in the commentaries they emphasize this, that um, the only imperative, the only do this in the passage is long for. It's not put away. This actually could and seems like should be translated having laid aside these things. So it's like the presumption that you've already done this, which is, um, this is a little bit of difficulty in that. And laying aside or putting away, that word has the connotation of it, of like taking some clothes off, taking off one outfit and putting on a different outfit. And so he's saying, in Christ, you've been born again to a living hope in Christ. You have put these things aside. You've taken them off. You've taken this outfit off and you are putting on uh, this other outfit. And so that involves these, these things. If I went, I'm going to go through these. Malice is not a word I think we use a lot, but, um, but we use the word malicious a bit. I mean, that's kind of a legalese term, and a malicious intent can get you in trouble if you had the intent to harm somebody. And I thought, man, I don't really want to hurt anybody. Jesus, I'm a nice guy. And um, I, I thought it's just not a big problem for me. But then I thought about it a little bit. That's a dangerous thing to do. Uh, and I thought about Jesus where he says, um, you've heard it said, don't murder anybody. Um, but I'm telling you, if you're angry with them in your heart and you kind of go through that thing, then, you know, and he does that with some other sins as well. And so he's saying, it's not just what you do with your hands, but what's in your heart that is a problem. And then I thought, oh, shoot, malice. That's not good. Because we're all running a little hot right now, right? Like we're, it's just a little tense. And, um, and, and we're kind of exhausted, and so then it didn't take long. And it won't take you long either to find some malice, I'm confident. Last week I talked about my issues with referees at soccer games, and on Tuesday night I had the opportunity to experience more malice towards referees at the end of a soccer game. I, it was all I could do as they walked out of the stadium not to say to the head ref, hey, I'm sure you're a great guy, you're a great dad, husband, whatever you do for a living you're good at, you are not good at refing soccer games and you probably shouldn't do it again. I didn't, but in my heart, <laughs> I absolutely did. One lady, one parent was like snapping pictures of the refs. She's like, I'm going to talk to your boss. Uh, so there was some malice. I had some malice one day this week, or opportunity this week to experience malice towards people that are in charge of customer service at major corporations. Seems like they never have to use customer service at major corporations. Is anybody with me on this? Holy moly. And it's like over time, my heart rate goes up when I think about having to use customer service because the last thing that you want to do when you're frustrated with somebody's product and you've had to dig through their website and find a phone number is get on the horn with a computer that says, please use a few words to describe your problem. I'm like, oh, you, this is not going to go well. I don't even know how to describe my problem, much less to a computer. And so immediately, what do I start saying? Can I please talk to a person? Please, can I talk to a person? I started thinking about this. Those folks, I bet they have Beer 30 on Thursdays, and they find the best recordings of you and I pleading to speak with an individual person. They're like, you're not going to believe this guy. Right? They have to do that. Uh, and you can talk, and then you talk to a person, um, and I, I, I was searching for this word all week long. I don't want to be xenophobic about this. I think that's the right word, but 
talking to someone who doesn't share the same native language as you in a customer service situation is not a great thing. They would not want me to be their customer service rep if they were frustrated with the product that I rep. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not good. So then you chat online with a person so they can chat online with seven other people. And now it's down to chatting online with bots. I have to ask a bot if I can talk to a person. I have some malicious intent towards people in that world. If you're in that world, we can send out for coffee and you can explain it to me. Right, so I realized, oh, I don't have, I have maybe more than just a little bit of malice, but not towards the people close to me, Jesus. It didn't take long for that to go away either. Like I just had to go home for a few minutes. You know what I mean? And like we experience more malice for the people closest to us because we depend on each other for, for big things and for little things. And we let each other down because we're imperfect, sinful people um, who have been sanctified enough, but we're not searching for all, and we're not all, we couldn't be all there yet anyway, uh, and, and so there's malice there. But we love each other, so it seems okay, you know, and, and Peter is saying, nope, all, all. That's a high bar. And I think part of what he's saying is, hey, guess what? There's no malice in Jesus. There's no malice in heaven. You want to go to heaven? Jesus wants to get you ready for heaven. All malice. Can't go there with what you're wearing now. You need a better outfit. Isn't this fun? All right, deceit. Deceit. Uh, a definite attempt to distort, hide, or undermine the truth. I thought about this. I'm like, I'm not like, going to preach to a bunch of liars on Sunday morning. You know what I mean? Like, well, this is not a big problem for us. And then I thought about that too. Shoot. Uh, are there things in your life that you do that you don't think are that bad, but other people around you, possibly even sitting next to you, might think are bad, but you think they're being kind of unreasonable, so you hide those things just a little, not a lot, because it wouldn't be a big deal to have a conversation about it, but it'd be a bigger deal than it needs to be. Anybody else? I don't know, you're sitting next to them. So whatever, like, I realize, man, there are little ways um, that I'm deceitful. Have you been deceitful with some online activity? Have you just been deceitful with maybe some purchases? Not really big purchases, but not like $25 purchases either. Uh, do you present a different version of yourself than is accurate when you are online? Maybe do you fudge some numbers at work? I thought, oh yeah, all deceit. There's no deceit in heaven. Jesus wasn't deceitful. He doesn't want, like that's not who he saved us to be. Um, and hypocrisy goes right along with deceitful because as soon as you're deceitful, you're wearing a mask and you are a different person to the people around you. I read this quote and it's from a Spanish journalist that I've never heard of before, but it's a great quote. He said, everybody has three lives, a public life, a private life, and a secret life. And in some way, shape, or form, we all have public lives that we let everybody see, private lives that we let those closest to us see, and secret lives that nobody sees, that we might not even see, right? Deceit, all deceit and hypocrisy, and then envy and slander go together, and envy is one I didn't have to think about at all. <laughs> um, that's the one that's probably the hardest for me on the list. They tell you as a pastor, um, they say, what do they say? Show, them, show people your scars, but not your wounds. You know, which I'm not even sure that's a great idea, but I get it. Uh, envy is not a scar, it's a wound, you know. And so there are just things like, I, I'd, I'd like to drive a nicer car than I drive. I'll never drive the car that I want to drive, and I'm f so fine with that. 
on, on so many levels, like of, of um, what God's called me to and the blessings that God's given us and all that stuff. But on other levels, like it can be difficult. And I can in one minute uh, feel envious of one person for what they have and look at another person and feel guilty for what I have, like be in that mix. I was on the sidelines of a game yesterday just talking to this parent. This guy's great. I love this guy. And they, they said they go to Millbrooks. I'm like, where do you guys live? You go to Millbrook. And they live in Northridge, really nice place. And then he started talking to me about a 7,000 square foot house and the deal that he got on it that was like four times what I paid for my house. You know what I mean? Like we're just in a different place. And it's, that is fine. But, it, but it's not, there's not all. <laughs> there's not all with that for me. And that so quickly turns into slander. Envy turns into slander because you, you just instinctively want to take that person down a notch. Um, and we're bad about this in church. We'll turn it into a prayer request, you know. Uh, one person, one pastor articulated it this way, you know, that you say if they were a spiritual person, well, they wouldn't have that. Well, if you were a spiritual person, you wouldn't begrudge them having that. Because <laughs> all envy and slander would be gone and you wouldn't want those things so much because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Like, we have to bring people down a notch to bring ourselves up a notch. I thought of this verse from Proverbs 18. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. And that's just true. And we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but a little slander tastes good too sometimes, doesn't it? And there's the tension. So how are you doing with envy, with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander? You can answer that question for yourself. <laughs> um, now, I don't think, you know, I want, to be, I want to be really clear about this. I don't, Peter does not want you to feel guilty here. I don't want you to feel guilty here. I think it's easy to think, yeah, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. I thought I was doing really well, but I've got so far to go. I stink. I stink, you know, and to feel guilt about that. And I don't think that's what he wants us to feel. Because the whole story is that Jesus died to take our guilt and our shame away. And so that guilt is gone. Um, let me, you know, exhort you for a minute <laughs> To not feel, or to feel, can you feel guilty about feeling guilty? Yes, you can, but don't do that either. Um, that he wants your guilt gone. He knows your heart. And he wants you to be who he made you to be. Like, you can't love the way he wants you to love and, and at the same time feel malice. You can't love the way he wants you to love and be deceitful or be a hypocrite or envy and slander like and that's what he wants for you it's keeping it's in the way of what's best for you and the passage says so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk he doesn't say put that stuff away and if you haven't like what's wrong with you would you get your act together already i'm so tired of having this conversation with you and that's how it feels sometimes but he doesn't say that. It's like he's saying, hey, remember who you are. Remember what's available. Remember that you've been redeemed from these things because they're not good for you. And so lament would be the proper emotion instead of 
guilt, like a lament that we take to him, um, that he's offered us something better, that we haven't fully taken him, taken him up on it, and he's wooing us into it. And man, the picture is a tender, almost uncomfortable picture. And a few times in chapter one, he alluded to new birth, you've been born again to a living hope, like, and now he says, like a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk that you have tasted and that you know is good. That is a baby with its mother. And that's the picture. There are intimate pictures in the Bible that, that we pass by. And the one that I'm, you know, I, I probably mentioned this a bit, but in the, in, in the Old Testament and the New, uh, heaven is pictured as a wedding feast. In the Old Testament, God the Father is the groom, and Israel is the bride. In the New Testament, Jesus is the groom, and we the church are the bride. At a wedding feast, those would go off and consummate their marriage and have sex. And so I think the ecstasy of sex for us is a foretaste of what it is to have perfect union with God. And that's incredible to me. That's fantastic news for us. Well, this is a similarly intimate picture uh, where he's, this is clearly a picture of an infant at his mother's breast and like longing for that, like with instinctively longing for what is goodness for that infant. Um, I actually thought, man, a, a mother hears this passage differently than the rest of us and in a deeper way. And so the command, he said the only imperative is to long for. You'd think the command would be grow up, but it's not. It's long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up, which is almost passive. It's a byproduct of longing for the pure spiritual milk or receiving the pure spiritual milk. And so saying we should thirst for God, thirst for the word of God in the same way a baby longs for its mother. And by that we will grow up. And I don't think that's necessarily like just having this dying need to read your Bible all the time. But I do think it is like this longing to hear from God and the, the easiest way maybe to hear from God is to be reading your Bible. And I think we know that longing if we've experienced um, the goodness of God. I thought of this, uh, this passage from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food day and night. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Um, as a deer pants for water. And that, like, does anybody know the song? You know, as the deer panteth for the water. Well, that wasn't horrible. So my soul longing after thee. I'll stop while I'm ahead. Okay. That's a song. It's kind of a nice, gentle song. Deer's panting for water in the woods because there's a drought or something like that. They ain't singing like that. They're like, I need water. Like there's a desperation to that verse. And I think there can be a desperation to this one. Do we long for God like that? Um, the, the word actually is, for longing, is a, like an affection, affectionately yearning for something. Longing for God to nourish you. Longing to remember how much better God is than malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Uh, do we long 
for that. I, um, I thought about long, just that, long, what do I long for? And, um, and so right now we're in this uh, diet, fast, detox thing called Whole30. Who's done Whole30 before? Sorry. Uh, and it is, it is a detox, I think. It's no grain, no dairy, no sugar for 30 days. It's stupid. Uh, but, it, yeah, it is. There's great things about it. And part of it is like eliminating some things from your diet that create inflammation in your body. And people have experienced like recovery from, from conditions that have been chronic for them because they changed their diet up. Um, and then some of it is that your body gets used to getting its energy from really simple um, I'm going to explain this horribly, and a nutritionist afterwards can come up and talk to me about it. Uh, but like that, that refined carbohydrates and sugar can give your body energy, but they're like gone like that, and it keeps your body from burning up unused, uh, like stored energy, and from getting energy from good things. So it just detoxes your body for uh, for a month. But it's really hard. And you know what I want? You know what I long for most right now? And this is this is consistent for me. I want to fire up my toaster. Put in a piece of Dave's Killer Bread and put some butter on that when it's done, and that's all I need. I just need a piece of toast with butter on it. That's, that's like what I'm longing for most. I want to go to Costco after service, and I want to go back by that, the big refrigerator thing with the fruits and vegetables and like just give it a dirty look and pass right by it because I've had so many fruits and vegetables the last couple weeks. And I want to go around the corner to the bakery and you know those baguettes where they got the two baguettes in the bag? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And every once in a while you go there and you see some condensation on the bag. And then you're like, you get a little bit excited. And then you touch the bag and it's warm. And it has confirmed your suspicions that you have won the Costco bread lottery and you got hot baguettes. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Man, my kids love those things. But, we, by, but by the time we're out of the parking lot, half of one of the baguettes is gone because it's so good. And that's what I want. I long for that right now. <laughs> I long for, with apologies to your brownies, your mom's brownies, and your grandma's brownies, the best brownies are the Costco Ghirardelli triple brownie mix or whatever it is. I have tasted and seen that those are good brownies. My kids make those brownies like twice a week, it seems like. This is why I need to do a Whole30. And I have tasted those brownies hot out of the oven, so hot you know you're going to burn your tongue, but you eat it anyway because it's so good. Or better yet, the brownie batter before it goes into the oven. Can I get an amen? There we go. Um, it is so good. I've tasted those things, and right now I long for those things, and I will taste those things again. And that's what he's saying about Jesus. We have tasted, and you don't taste it, you don't, you don't feel it all the time, but you've tasted it. It's so great. I'm so glad when we were singing. I'm so glad you guys are here to worship together with, because those things, the goodness of God, like all week long, you can be like, is God good? And you need to be together to remind each other that the Lord is good. And he has been good to you, and he is good to you, and it might not feel like it right now, but, but it will feel like that again. Um, there's the line in this psalm. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you um, in the land. That's not the one I was looking for. Uh, my, my, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him. I shall again praise praise him. And so I think so much of this is Peter saying like, you are eating wonder bread when you can have the bread of life. Stop it. 
There's a line from C.S. Lewis in an essay called The Weight of Glory, where he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think the fasting analogy isn't bad um, because in that detox thing, we take the simple and we settle for it when something better is made for us and then our bodies start to get addicted to the simple. Um, and it takes something to, like, to get re-addicted to the, the things that we know are good, good for us. And so I think he's saying, like, agree with God and resist those things, repent of those things, not because they don't taste good because they do, but because you trust and know they aren't good. And not because you feel guilty, because Jesus is taking your guilt away. You don't have anything to prove to Jesus, because you couldn't prove anything to Jesus anyway. Like, that's why he died on a cross for you. But because your Savior and your friend Jesus has something so much better for you, and you know it. I read a sermon um, that Charles Spurgeon wrote on this passage, and this is one section of it. He says, Dear Christian friends, you remember the time when laden with guilt and full of fears, you looked to Jesus Christ. It was the eye of faith which looked. After a while, Christ's sweet love assured you that your sins were forgiven and you felt a calm in your soul such as you had never known before. That was tasting Christ. You knew his sweetness. You knew the power there was in him to take away the bitterness out of your mouth and to put in sweetness instead thereof. Since that time, you have been in trouble, but you have tasted Christ, for he has comforted you and lifted up upon you the light of his countenance. You have been often greatly tried, but he has sustained you, and you have experienced that he is a very present help in time of trouble. Temptation has assailed you, but you have been able to meet it by Christ in you, the hope of glory, and perhaps even today your soul is as full as it can hold of delightful contemplations of the loveliness, the faithfulness, the affection, the power, and the glory of your precious Lord, Jesus Christ. Now this is what is meant by tasting. It is enjoying Christ by an act of faith and finding him to be the altogether lovely, sweet, and precious one. You remember the time, laden with guilt and full of fears, you came to him and realized that he'd done something for you that you could not do for yourself. You felt a calm in your soul that you'd never known before. And you've been in trouble and you've been tried and temptation has assailed you, but he is faithful and he is good. I remember as a kid, these are memories that I have that I'm so thankful for, laying my head down on the pillow at night and wondering if I had done enough good things that if I died in my sleep, I'd go to heaven or if I'd done too many bad things, then I would go to hell and the anxiety of that. And I remember hearing the simplicity of the gospel that he has done something for me that I could not do for myself and thinking, that makes so much sense. <laughs> and uh, receiving that goodness. I remember a weekend in my mid-20s where um, I was just living apart from him. I was living lost and had no peace. And on that weekend, I went back through, um, or we, I, just, I don't know how long this was, I went back to my sister's house and stopped by and saw her and her young family. And they just had a peace and a simplicity in their life that was super attractive to me at the time. And then I went back and met with a friend from college and explained to her where, like, what I was 
wrestling with spiritually, and she said um, she'd been a good friend early in college, and we had some of the same struggles, doubts, uh, and she said, man, it's like you're dealing with the same stuff that we were dealing with five years ago, and I was like, oh, gosh, <laughs> wasted five years like an arrow. <laughs> she didn't mean to do it, but that's what she did, and I remember going to a Promise Keepers conference with my dad, and 60,000 men praising the Lord, and Chuck Colson being brilliant, and in that time, I was reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity for the first time, thinking this is the smartest guy in every room he's ever been in, and he's utterly convinced of this faith that I end up having questions about. And I remember in that time, the freedom of repentance and the power of feeling called to more than what I had settled for in that time, leaving mud pies behind to start the journey towards the holiday by the sea. Do you remember that in your life? But those mud pies draw you back. And life gets complicated and we get tired and there are questions. And sanctification is more and more difficult than I'd imagine. But I know that the Lord is good. Um, I taste it every week in doing this, man. I love preaching because I love discovering and passing along what God's given us in his word. I love the Bible project and the spoken gospel guys. I love how the Bible makes sense of the world within and the world without in a way that nothing else does. I love worshiping with the church. I long for it. And I long for the day when there's no malice and no deceit and no hypocrisy and no envy and no slander. I long for it, and so do you. Um, you guys can come back up. Um, and get ready for the last few songs. I'm going to read a hymn from um, John Newton. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. So here it is. How sweet the sound. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrow, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Dear name, the rock on which I build, my shield and hiding place my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. By thee my prayers acceptance gain, although with sin defiled, Satan accuses me in vain, and I am owned a child. Jesus, my Savior, shepherd, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my Lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. Weak is the effort of my heart, and cold my warmest thought. But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. Weak is the effort of my heart. And cold my warmest thought, Lord. But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I ought. Till then I would thy love proclaim with every fleeting breath. And may the music of thy name refresh my soul in death. Church, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation because you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. If you are here, if you're tuned in and you're not there yet and you're like, I don't know if I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, there is a difference between um, hearing about the Costco bread <laughs> looking at the Costco bread, touching that warm bag of Costco bread and tasting that Costco bread. And there's a difference between that with Jesus and the difference is like surrendering your life to him. 
and trusting him. And there's probably some, a couple things, like general trusting him and surrendering to him and agreeing what, who he is and what he's done for you, but like a general, or a specific, excuse me, thing that he wants you to trust him with right now and see if he'll come through for you. And those are the areas where I think more specifically you taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, if you have not done that, if you have not done that, he is speaking to you in greater ways than I am. Surrender to him and give your life to him.